Now for our text this morning. As a result of this, many of the disciples left and would no longer walk with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have already believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I, did I not myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's ask God for his blessing. Holy Father, hallowed be your name. We ask that you bless us this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Be with preacher and be with those who are hearing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever read uh, a book, Saints? Maybe you've watched a movie. Um, and what I tend to do is I tend to look at the movie and or the, the various actors and the characters that the actors are portraying. And I try to find myself in the movie. Sort of like if you're reading a book and suddenly as you're reading along, you start to see that this character is more like you um, than anyone else. I mean, I'm sure there's been times when you watched some of your favorite movies and you've, you saw little things in the character uh, that makes you say, man, I kind of have that trait. I'm kind of like that. Uh, as far as being a character. Um, I can think of many movies that I've watched in the past, and I can think of various characters that I think I am like, uh, various people who I think I am like, uh, but if I'm sure if I told uh, my brother or my mother or my wife, am I like this person? Uh, they'd probably say no. Um, but they can't say no now, so I think the person who I probably am like the most um, is maybe Jack from uh, Titanic. Uh, if you remember, Jack from Titanic was that one who who gave all of his heart and soul for Rose. And, you know, I like to think of Leela as Rose. And remember at that very end, what does Jack do? Uh, out of courage, uh, he he allows Rose to stay on the door while he freezes to death. Essentially, what he does is he gives himself for the lives of of others, he 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 gives him he gives uh, uh, the one thing that would allow him to survive. Uh, and I'm sure you can think of other people who uh, you are likened to. And saints, very similarly, when we read the Bible, there are many people in the Bible whom we can read about, and we can say, "Man, I am very much like that person." We can think of David, and many of us probably never have sinned as heinously as David before, uh, but we have nevertheless sinned. And we have, as David has, as we read in the various Psalms, that he's he's cut to the heart because of his sin. Uh, we think of the Apostle Paul, who at one point was named Saul. He was the great persecutor of the church. And, and that is a great reflection of who we were before Christ saved us. Uh, that we wanted nothing to do with Christ. We wanted nothing to do with his church. But saints, out of all the people in the Bible... And maybe you can amen this as well. Uh, the one who I probably identify myself um, more or less with uh, is the Apostle Peter. Uh, when we think about Peter, 
uh, and you read many of the things that Peter has has done, uh, there are some times when you say, Peter, why would you say that? And then there's some times when you say, Peter, that is a very profound thing to say. There's been times when you can read a story of Peter and uh, Peter, whether he, he cuts off the, the ear of the soldier or rather he tells Christ after, uh, I, will never, I will never abandon you, Christ. You say, Peter, you are so sure of yourself. That is your greatest downfall. And then there's times when we read something like this in John 6. There are times when when Peter gives to us great words uh, that we are to ingrain in our minds. Words that we are to live by. And this morning, saints, I want us to consider this just in three points. Number one, Peter's confession of Christ's excellency. And number two, Peter's confession of Christ's words. And number three, Peter's confession of his faith. Number one, Peter's confession of Christ's excellency. Peter's confession of Christ's words. And number three, Peter's confession of his faith. Number one, Peter's confession of Christ's excellency. Again, saints, let's not forget the context of chapter six because it's in the context or rather the backdrop of John chapter six where this confession of Peter is quite amazing. Christ has just performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And from this miracle, Jesus Christ has gained quite a following. He's gained much popularity. The people want to know who is this man from Nazareth? And they want to get close to him. For he performs things that they've never saw before. He performs many miracles and many signs and wonders. But, but Christ, as he so frequently does, he knows the hearts of man. He says to the crowd in verse 26, after all of their bellies are filled, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of some loaves and were filled. I mean, Peter, Jesus Christ knows why they're following him. He understands quite well why the people want to get close to him. In many ways, Christ here, he reads the souls of the people. He sees the hypocrisy of the people. And in verse 54, he makes a startling claim. He says in verse 54 through 56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I am him. Now, let's take off our Christian glasses and Christian hats. If you were in the crowd and if you heard that, what would you say? Someone is saying, if you eat me, you get eternal life. Well, I'm sure many of us will be like the crowds when the crowd heard this, when they heard this statement. It is almost as if the miracle of the feeding went out of their minds and they focus merely on, as many people do, this statement here. Regardless of what you've done in the past, Christ, what about this? The people are appalled. They say in verse 60, 
This statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? This statement is not like the... It wasn't the ease of the fish and the bread going down their bellies. It didn't sit that well. This was a hard thing to swallow. But saints... We aren't to think that this statement from Christ was by accident. I mean, if if Christ was to teach a pastor how to lose a church, he shows us here. How does Christ lose the people? Well, he does so by doctrine. He does so by theology. By this statement, Jesus Christ is being very, very intentional. As I have learned from Pastor Antonio many, many years ago, there's nothing in Holy Writ that is not for purpose or for use. Everything that God has given to us in Scripture is for a specific reason. Every statement. And here, what Christ is doing is He is drawing out from the people, from the crowds, those who are not His true followers. From this statement here, Christ is drawing out amongst the sheep all of the goats. And this is an important point to make, saints, that Christ cares more about the spiritual soul of his people rather than the size of the people. Christ cares more about the theology of his church rather than the capacity of his church. He cares more about whether you are speaking right and true doctrine over and against whether or not every seat in the church is filled up. And as the thousands begin to walk away from Jesus, this picture thousands, thousands, are walking away from Christ. Jesus then turns to his disciples and he asks this soul-stirring question. Verse 67. You do not want to leave also, do you? The one who at one point the crowd was searching for is now asking the only crowd he has left. Search your heart. If you read in John 6, you will see that the crowds got on boats to find Jesus, to search for Christ. And here Christ is telling the twelve, now I'm asking you to search your heart. Not that Christ didn't know. We don't have to think that Christ is asking this question because he's curious and he's unaware of what the disciples will say. But rather, he's allowing disciples to have free will to search your own heart. What do you think of me? Will you leave also? This one who the crowds gathered around is now the one they want nothing to do with. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks, do you not want to leave also, do you? This question that Christ proposes to his disciples is a question that I'm sure, saints, many of you have asked in your life. 
based off of various experiences, you might have asked this question to yourself. Maybe you lose your job and you lose all of your earthly possessions. Do you ask yourself, will I leave Christ? Maybe there's a death in the family. An unexpected death, an untimely death, a death that is, seems unfair, unjust, unwarranted. You ask yourself, will I forsake Christ? Maybe the pastor offended you. Maybe a church member offended you. Maybe something was said to you from a fellow Christian that didn't sit right with you. Then you ask yourself, will I forsake Christ? You see, saints, this question is proposed to us every single day, even when you are in temptation to sin. Temptation arises. You ask yourself, will I forsake Christ and move upon my own passions and desires? Well, saints, when these questions are proposed to us, what should our response be? Consider with me Peter's reply in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, this is glorious. Absolutely glorious. Now, it's important to note what St. Peter is not saying. He's not saying, to whom shall we follow, my Lord? He's not saying, to what teacher should we betake ourselves to? Show us the way He's, he's not saying what scribe or what Pharisee or what Sadducee or what priest or what rabbi should we follow instead of you. He's not saying that. He's not saying Christ. Well, do you know of other Christ out there? You see, Peter's not looking for suggestions. Peter's not looking for opinions. But rather, Peter here is extolling the greatness of Christ. What Peter is really saying is, Lord, give us someone better whom we should follow. Lord, there is no one like you. If we were to leave you, what shall we gain for ourselves? What should we gain if we left you, Christ? You see, Peter here understands what saints, I hope, and if I have the privilege of uh, preaching you the gospel until you make it to heaven or until I make it to heaven, Peter understands what I hope you understand is that there is no one like Jesus Christ. That there is no one, absolutely no one like Jesus Christ. And this reply from Peter to our Lord is a fitting reply, is it not? For Peter's reply is a foundational truth. Who compares to our Lord? Who compares to Christ? He is the one of Jeremiah 10, 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and great is your name and might. He is the one of 1 Samuel 2, 2. There is no one like holy like you, Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you. He is this one. Christ is utterly unique. From his person down to his work, who in history has been born like Jesus? 
Who in history has lived like Jesus? Who in history has died like Jesus? Who in history has got up like Jesus? And saints, who in history is coming back like Jesus? There is no one like Jesus Christ. Who in history can we compare His glorious person to? The infinite one has united Himself to finite man. That this eternal one, the radiance of the Father's glory, has wrapped Himself in human flesh. For what purpose, saints, so that fallen humanity, by grace, can become sons and daughters of God. That Jesus Christ can take all of what is His and share it with us. Saints, Peter's reply is not only fitting, but it is a necessary reply. For Jesus Christ is altogether incomparable. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the question that I want to leave for you is this. Have you found Christ to be incomparable? Have you found your Lord and Savior to be incomparable? If your faith was rocked in such a way to where you, for the, for the slightest of second, thought about leaving Christ, would your resolve be one of Peter's? Lord, to whom shall I go? Where would I go? Ask yourself, saints. If you were to leave Christ, where would you go? What is better? What compares to our Lord? Who has done more for you than our Lord? Who forgives you like our Lord? Who loves you in spite of yourself like our Lord? Who gives to you all of the heavenly riches? Who gives to you the Father's love? Who gives to you the gift of the Spirit to accompany you? Only Jesus Christ. And Peter knows this. Which leads to our second point, and that is Peter's confession of Christ's words. In addition to Peter extolling the greatness of Christ, we also see that he extols the greatness of Christ's words. It's not only that you are great Christ, but your words are great as well. Why should Peter not give up on Christ? Well, consider with me the ending of verse 68. You have the words of eternal life. And this is a most interesting reason why Peter has chose to stay with Christ as a knot. I mean, if, if, if you were really paying attention to the, to the context of, of this, of, of chapter six, what has caused the thousands to stop following Christ? What caused them to leave Christ? It was his words. It was the words of Christ that caused the people to forsake Christ. Remember, whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. The people say, this is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? They leave Christ. Why? Not the miracles. Again, because of the theology, because of the doctrine. In fact, Christ was doing, or rather he was utilizing theology and doctrine. What, one of the reasons what, uh, why theology and doctrine exist to divide people. Doctrine unites, 
Amen. We all are united because of doctrine and theology. But how come no one's, everyone's not here? How come this place is not jam-packed? Because doctrine and theology also divides. Doctrine and theology also divides. And saints, the crowds, uh, leaving Christ at this moment is a model, a very, a very vivid model of how many Christians leave Orthodox churches. That's hard sayings there. That's too orthodox. It's not progressive enough. The people hear this. They hear words of offense. Drink my blood, eat my flesh. That's appalling. But saints, when Peter hears these words, he hears eternal life. You see, you have two listeners. You have you have two ears. You have the crowd's ears and then you have Peter's ears. When the crowd hears these words from Christ, they hear a stench of death. But when Peter hears these words, he hears a fragrance of life. They hear the same thing, but they're not listening the same way. You see, saints, Christ's words are what drew the crowds away from Christ. But it is precisely because of Christ's words, it what drew Peter closer to Christ. I'm not leaving you because of your words. They left you because of your words. I know what you're saying. Peter understood that Jesus was preaching. And one of my favorite quotes from a movie, Pastor Antonio will know this movie, not no hustle. But these are the words of eternal life. And isn't this true of our Lord? In that great prologue in John 1, when we read of the word that has come down from heaven. What does John say in John 1.14? And he was full of grace and truth. This one, this eternal word has come down and has the very words of God because he is the word of God. John 4.14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him become will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, shall he live, yet he shall he live. But everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. Or through me in John five, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes me or believes him who sent me has eternal life. Friends, whose words compares to Christ's words? Whose words compare to Christ's words? The greatest of songs, maybe temptations, my girl, I don't know. I watched it the other day. The greatest and most eloquent of wedding vows. The sweetest Valentine card you can give someone. None of those words compare to a single line by Christ. Is it the words of Satan? Do the words of Satan compare to the words of Christ? Satan says, follow your passions. Follow your your lower and sensitive appetites. Follow the things that bring you the most pleasure, even at the expense of others. That's Satanism. 
That's a naturalism. That's atheism. The words of Satan say, do what you want and make your own path. Go your own way. Do what you want to do. You make your own destiny. And these words do not lead to everlasting life. But as you know, saints, these words lead to everlasting death. Then there's the words of the world. What about the words of the world? Do they compare to Christ? Well, the words of the world say, be inclusive. Accept everyone's sin. Not everyone. Everyone's sin. Stay woke. Fight for injustices. Fight for the things that are wrong in your community and the things that you see that are wrong all while at the same time. Over 900 babies are being murdered every single day. The gospel of the world is to be the best citizen, the best person you can be now. And hopefully in the end, your good deeds will outweigh your bad. And think of all the various world religions, the false religions. Think of the words of the vain philosophies of the day. Do they compare to Christ? Throughout the history of man, man has tried to come up with various theories of how they can have a better life in the afterlife. Man has tried to make their own Jacob ladder. Man has tried to build their own tower so they can reach the heavens. But friends, hear me now. All systems will fail. All theories, all vain philosophies, all other world false religions, all of them, each and every one of them will fail. It is only the eternal word that has come down from heaven that gives eternal life. And it's belief in this eternal one that grants eternal life. You see, saints, when Peter says to Christ, only you have the words of eternal life. And hear me now. He doesn't mean simply that we are saved by words. He doesn't mean that simply we enter and merit heaven because of words as words. We're not saved by words, but rather, Peter is saying, Lord, you have the words of eternal life because your words are directed to an eternal person. Your words connect to you. Friends, this is why all theories and all vain philosophies, all systems that say you can merit heaven outside of Christ will fail. Because their words have no substance. They're just words. They're empty. The words that Christ speaks are words that point to himself. Anytime Christ speaks of eternal life, it's always about him. I am eternal life. Believe in me. Saints, Christ in Christ alone is our foundation for eternal life. Not the words that you have said. 
It's not even your confession of faith. It's not even your great faith or your lack of faith. It is not because you can say the gospel better than anyone else. Your foundation for eternal life is Jesus Christ and the instrument that Christ uses for you to be united to Christ is words. With a sincere heart, you say out of your mouth what Peter says. And at this moment, Peter understands this better than anyone else. This is what causes him to say in verse 69, and we have already believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the third and final point, saints. Peter's great confession. What a glorious confession this is. Here, Peter confesses that which every man one day will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter here confesses it. It's a simple confession, is it not? A simple confession. Jesus, you are Lord. But saints, it is this confession that separates believers and unbelievers. It's these words here when said with a sincere heart is what separates the church from the world. This simple confession here is the dividing wall, the dividing line between heaven and hell. This confession here, this simple confession is what unites one to Christ and the gates of paradise are opened up for. This confession. Peter says, we have already believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, saints, there are two things that Peter is doing here. Rather, there's two statements that Peter is making. First, he says, we believe. And secondly, he says, we have come to know Two things, two different things. Essentially, what Peter is saying is our faith in who you are has been strengthened by further knowledge of who you are. Yes, we believe in the first principles, and that is you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon further knowledge, those further principles have become more ingrained in our heads. The more saints, and if there's anything that I hope you grasp this morning, along with all the other things I've said, I hope you understand this, especially in this anti-Christian intellectual age we live in, where all we care about is feelings and emotions and, uh, you know, all these other things that speak to our senses, the more we can know about Christ, the more we can be assured that our faith is in the right object. You see, saints, faith is only great when it's connected to an object greater than itself. You say, I believe in Christ. Why is it your faith in Christ alone? How can that merit you heaven? It's because it's connected. Your faith is connected to Jesus Christ. And the more we know about Christ, the more our mind can assent to God. 
but also the more our hearts can beat for Christ. You want to know how to stop killing sin? How to live more like Christ? Start to know Christ. Read your word. Read various theological books. God has given to you a great gift. And what, and what is that? Well, he's, he's given you first a rational mind. And because you are a Christian, he's given you a sound mind. Now use it. And Peter here, because his mind is escalating day by day as he begins to know more and more about Christ in the face of adversity, when all the crowds are leaving, he can say to Christ, I am not leaving. Because I know you. In spite of everyone leaving, I know you. We all know this of experience. The more we get to know our spouse, the more we begin to love our spouse. One of the great sayings in the medieval church was, you can't love what you don't know. And saints, likewise with Christ. But we aren't to think, as we are coming to close in this point, that Peter's confession is a product of his own investigation of Christ. We aren't to think that Peter's confession is his mind observing Christ, observing these first principles. Jesus, you are the Christ, okay? And then further along the line, he's writing things down about Christ. And then now he's come to the moment where he says, yes, I believe. This confession of Peter is not because of his own intellect. It's not because Peter was smarter than everyone else, wiser than everyone else. That he took a chance to believe on Christ and it happened to be true. You see, this com- confession of Peter is not from his own doing. He didn't draw up some sort of four-point hypothesis, uh, hypothesis. And then based upon uh, all these things, he's right. No. The reasoning behind this great confession of Peter is another example of this other great confession we read of Peter's. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you remember what Christ's words were. He doesn't applaud Peter and say, Peter, you get an A plus. You got a, you just, you, you leveled up, you starred up. Here's the sheriff sticker. You're the man. But Jesus Christ says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood, natural theology, those innate things that you might know and observe, that didn't reveal it to you. But my father who was in heaven. What Jesus is saying here is your confession of faith, Peter, that I am the Christ of the Son of the living God has nothing to do, or rather, did not begin with you, but began with God. That Peter, you've been given 
a very, very special gift. And what is that? You've been given, as the old boys would say, a divine and supernatural light. And Peter here is exemplifying those great words of Psalm 36. In your light, we shall see light. When God gives you light, you begin to see what others fail to see, and that is light. What caused Peter to say these words that the Sadducees didn't want to say? That the rabbis, the Pharisees, all the teachers fail to say? Is because Peter's been given the Holy Spirit. Peter's been given supernatural aid to do what? To make a supernatural confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Saints, as we come to a close this morning, there are many things that we can deduce from these verses and make some practical applications. But what I want to leave you with is this. There are many Bible verses that we should remember. Many Bible verses that we should remember. And this morning, saints, I offer one to you to store in your memory bank, but also to seal upon your soul and seal upon your heart. That when temptation arises, when the world is going left, When your family is going left, when you are rocked at the very center of your being. And you ask this question, will I leave Christ also? Your resolve will be. But whom shall I go? Where will I go? And based off of that. You can begin to know and love Christ. And hopefully we will stop sinning and conform more into the image of Christ. Saints, remember Peter's great words here. When Christ asked him, will you leave? And Peter says, I have nowhere to go. There is no place literally to go. And saints, I hope this morning, if you are saints of God, that you can say these words confidently. And for those who are wrestling with their faith, those who may not even be of the faith, when you lack faith, remember these words. If you're in the middle, say to yourself, if I went all the way left, where would I end up? Where would I go? It's only Christ that leads me to the quiet and still waters. And it's only Christ that lies me down in green pastures. It's only Christ that is that great shepherd. For when the wolves come, he can be the one who stops them. It is only Christ. Let's pray.